0: And happy Christmas, if you're listening to this the day that I uploaded it. This is a special Christmas programme. Everybody does best ofs. This isn't the best of. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, dedicate the entire show to uh, a chat I had with The Edge in the 80s. Um, obviously, the 80s were a phenomenal time for you two. Just to give you a brief brief, brief background, I worked with the band from 1980 onwards, right up to the Joshua Tree, which for me, to be honest was their best decade, because Red Rocks, which happened in uh, 5th of June 1983, and how can we forget Live Aid on the 13th of July 1985. And, of course, The Unforgettable Fire, which came out on the 1st of October 1984. That was their fourth album, then The Joshua Tree, in March 1987. So what happened? I started on the radio in Manchester, where I was living in the UK, um, in 1984, and uh, we have a, n- a little chat from The Edge, which I discovered in the cupboard just uh, during the holidays. And it was The Edge phoning me to wish the programme happy birthday. And we talked about the up and coming Live Age show. So that's kind of gold. And then I went back and dug out um, some footage and stuff that I had um, from the uh, four programmes that I did on YouTube, which are, uh, um, what are they? They're episodes uh, 15, 16, 17 and 18, if I'm not mistaken. Malcolm Gary talking about Red Rocks, my interview with Adam The Edge, an interview with Bono and The Edge, and um, other stuff. Oh, my phone's going. Never mind. Uh, Sorry about that. So what we're going to do is we're going to roll with it, and um, U2 was uh, a phenomenal experience for me to work with that band right from the beginning. I got them the first TV, their first radio session, grew up with them and I suppose you can say the rest is history and it's incredible to think some 40 years later I've dug this out and I'm playing it. The audio quality is about as good as it can be from 40 years ago so bear with me. There's a little bit at the start of the phone interview with The Edge where uh, it's a little low but you still should be able to hear it. So let's get on with it. (laughs)
1: With the way the bands progress and everything, and here we are sort of five years on from the time I saw you play the Polytechnic, for instance, and and I was there in that room that Bonner refers to where there were nine people there. I was proud to say I was one of them. Um, Would be a bit of an understatement to say you've come a long way since then, but I mean... It is actually a changed U2 now, isn't it, Edge, with the fact that everything is reliant on the total production and the sheer quality of, of the stage show that you're putting together. It's not relying so much on, on Bono climbing PA stacks nowadays, etc., is it? Yeah, there's a
2: certain finesse that we've uh, developed over the last 12 months. And um, some would say it's it's long overdue. You know, we've we've survived for long enough, I think, on on just vibe, you know, I always remember watching Wah Heat in their early days, and it seemed to me that they would um, construct situations like breakdowns of amplifiers and PAs just so Wiley could get on the microphone and, and abuse the audience and rap with the crowd for a, for a few minutes. And that was great, you know, that works fantastically in a club or a small theatre. But when you start playing large places and um, your, your, uh, your show must project to the very back of the hall, then I think you've got to take it a bit more seriously and be a bit more, quote, professional about the whole thing. And um, we've become aware of this first in the States, where we started doing larger venues about 12 months ago. And with this record, things have just started really coming together and uh, developing to in a direction that we, uh, up till now, really haven't really considered.
1: It's important to stress, I think, the fact that you knew exactly what you wanted when you approached Eno, wasn't it, in the first place, Edge? Yeah, that that's true. For the first
2: time, um, we actually had some of the songs already written, and that, in a way, was one of the the, the things that affected our choice of producer. Had the songs been more uh, American or something, we may have gone with someone else. But it seemed to us at the time that they really had a, had a very overt European perspective, and we wanted somebody, some producer that could enhance that, and Eno just seemed like a perfect choice. As
1: it turned out, he was more perfect even than we envisaged originally. You have been on the road since the end of August, haven't you? How long are you going to be touring to promote this latest record, The Unforgettable Fire? You go to America from Britain. Well, we do a very short tour of the States,
2: only about two weeks of dates before Christmas, but that really isn't an American tour, that's just a, a taster. We go back in the spring and we probably will be there for about two or three months, which is how long it takes to get to all the major centres in um, North America. From there I think we'll probably come home, maybe do one or two festivals and then just leave it at that. I think everyone in the group is, is anxious to to get back into the studio with some, someone, maybe Brian again, maybe Danny Lanois, and
1: produce another LP. Was it an easy record to make, Edge? Did you uh, did you have a lot of trouble s- sitting down actually writing for The Unforgettable Fire? Because it was another phase in a totally different band, wasn't it? Well, we started out with some songs
2: which we finished to the best of our own abilities. Um, then Brian and Danny arrived. I suppose we had 15 pieces before they arrived. None of them really finished, but they were certainly well on the way. Instead of finishing those fifteen, we wrote another fifteen. So, immediately, instead of having the usual kind of LPs worth of material plus two or three, which, you know, we weren't sure about, we had double the amount of stuff we needed. Mainly these were just, um, ideas that hadn't really been developed. So, uh, the record immediately changed in identity from what we had, had envisaged at first. and. Because of that, I think we weren't really quite sure quite where it was going to end up. That was a really positive thing, I think, in many ways. But because of that, I think it took us a lot longer to finish the songs, to get the finished melodies and lyrics and finished performances of the voice and uh, final takes done. So in that respect, the fact that it did take us three months to finish meant that It has been uh, and was a very difficult record to finally, you know, knock on the head. But it was an intensely uh, gratifying session, you know. It was very inspiring, very challenging. And um, it seemed like, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, when you look back on it, it really doesn't seem like it was three
1: months at all. The first track we're going to hear, Pride, um, I think it'd be fair to say that it is an obvious single, isn't it, to be taken from the album. But you've never been a band edge concerned with writing hit singles, have you? I mean, if there's a track on the album or whatever that happens to be commercial, I think New Year's Day was probably commercial and the right record at the right time to give you top ten status, unlike with having a top three single with Pride. It's, it's a crossover record, but you've never really worried, have you? No, our, our, our emphasis has always been on the
2: LPs, on creating an album of material that has some sort of ebb and flow and, and works as a collection of pieces with this song pride i think the essence of of the song is very simple and that's probably why it makes sense as a 45. um the original structure was a lot more complex and it was Ian's or Eno's influence i think that led us to cut it down to strip it down to the the bare essentials of, of the piece and in so doing i think we produced probably one of our only true single releases so I mean it it wasn't envisaged originally as a 45 but it just became obvious you know when we mixed it that it was actually a a song that could go very very far in the charts the next track edge is the title track from the album the unforgettable fire Mm -hmm. yeah it's actually my favorite track on the record at the moment Um, I tend to change my opinion from but just at the moment that's that is it it's a song that started its, its life quite a while ago, as just a little piano piece, and uh, developed from there to the track that's the song on the record. We demoed it before Brian and Danny arrived. And the nice thing about that song is that the, the essential musical qualities that it had as a piano piece and as a demo are still there as a final <coughs> track on the record. But it's just, it's just stated in a far stronger, more confident way. It's, it's one of the nicest pieces I think we've ever done as a band. Yeah, it's really funny how how uh, times change, you know, and policies change in the sub-editorial side of of these sort of magazines. But I, I honestly believe that they're really cutting their own throats because they're getting so cynical and so negative that. It, it's Honestly, it's penance reading them now. I, I never read those things anymore. Very few um, musicians that I know of read them, or if they do, it's just... In secret. Y- they just maybe pick one up every couple of months if there's something particularly that interests them. But really, who wants to pick up um, papers like that and read this sort of trash that they're putting out? It's it is just so depressing. That's the only word for it. You, you read it and you feel my God, you know, what's this business all about? Let's just pack it in and
1: open greengrocer's shops or something. It's just, you know, what more can you say? Bad's an interesting title, Edge. Did uh, (laughs) did you have much trouble thinking of a title like that? It seemed actually quite an obvious one. In fact, it was so obvious that we we
2: questioned it originally. Um, One of the early inspirations for that song was a certain... um, repetitive quality that the Velvet Underground would have used in their early days. And the song lyrically was, I think, seemed to be dedicated to um, a friend of Bono's who was going through a very bad time with heroin. So the whole thing, I mean, it was, it really did, that title suggested itself quite early on in, in the making of the song. So. Um, It was one of those working titles that we weren't sure about and then when it came to the end of the record we had to make a decision and I think everyone was convinced that that was the title really and that nothing else could sum everything up quite so
1: well. It's not fair to to still refer to you as a guitar band now, is it, Edge? I mean, you are progressing and I think you will attract a lot more fans through this album and, uh, well, I say critics as opposed to reviewers, but generally it's been looked on quite favourably. Are you pleased? (coughs) Yeah, very pleased. When
2: we first uh, decided to to ask Brian to produce, um, assuming that he was going to do it, we felt that it would be possibly a commercial failure of a record. I mean, Brian said himself, he said, look, if you want me to produce something commercial, I've never produced a commercial album in my life. And if you look back at his history, he's produced some very influential work, but nothing that has meant a, a commercially, um, a commercial turning point in a band's career, quite the opposite. But we, we decided that, that at, at this stage in our career, that really wasn't what we were worried about. Um, and the LP that we f- finally ended up with has just been way above my expectations in that respect. It's, it's a record that displays the many abilities within the group t- to their best advantage. It's, it's more of a representation of the band than any of the other records. It shows more of the contrast of the group with songs like Pride, the, 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 um, the way that that is so concise so simple and yes yet so strong down to things like fourth of july which is well the story of that track is myself and adam were just playing together a few little figures in the castle where we were doing our basic recording and we weren't even aware that it was being listened to but brian was in the other room the control room and he just was listening to what we were doing had a few treatments up which he quite liked and so he put the quarter inch machine on that's just the stereo machine so it was—it was like a live recording. So it went down, and then we decided to put it on the record. So, it, you know, it's total contrasts in this record. It's definitely my favourite of our
0: so far. I'll be inclined to agree with that. You're listening to the Christmas edition special of Moments That Rock, part of the Panting Group of podcasts. This one is with the Edge from U2. Uh, the 80s were a phenomenal time from. The bit you've heard was about the album, The Unforgettable Fire. It was originally out on my radio show in Manchester in um, 1985, I think. No, right? Yeah, no, 84. Anyway, um, it went out as a Christmas special. And um, we're repeating a little bit of it here. And this bit that's coming up now after the break will be the edge again. Um, and he phoned me up when the radio show was a year old to wish the program a happy birthday. So this bit
3: is 1980. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win.
4: And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package.
3: And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
0: Five, yeah, the previous bit was 1984. We'll be back in a moment.
4: Hello, who's that?
5: Hello, Tony, this is The Edge here from YouTube. I'm stringing up to wish you a happy birthday and, um, you know, for the first birthday of the last radio show.
4: Oh, well, that's very decent of you indeed. I'm very grateful. How sweet of you. Listen, I had a phone call on Friday from REM. They said they uh, thoroughly enjoyed your show and uh, performing with you at Milton Keynes.
5: Yeah, they're, they're a great bunch of guys, actually. We had them over to Dublin as well um, for our, our show in Croke Park.
4: How did that go? Was that about the same amount of people, Ed? You have better weather. in fact uh, it's not only just our birthday Ed. You, uh, you've got something to celebrate yourself haven't you I mean it's virtually the end of your world tour you've been on tour since August the 29th talking to you at the NEC gig that one of the last dates on the on the British tour in the autumn and you were saying uh, that your show is much more geared towards stadiums now isn't it, after playing like the small intimate clubs and then the consoles and now here you are playing like with 30,000 people or s- people sat in a field watching you
5: Okay. I think come to our shows for is that total positive feeling amongst all the
4: people. Yeah, I suppose 11,000 for a U2 gig like the NEC isn't that many nowadays, is it the actual sound inside there? Could have been a small club. Now, Ed. I mean, now you're not going to have any gigs, you can't get 50,000 people in your living room. <laughs> True.
5: Well, we've got a lot of stuff we have to do, you know. We've, we've, we've had this Unforgettable Fire album out now, you know, for a year, and we, we want to start getting back into the studio and writing for Yeah. 18th July at Wembley. Um, so we're we're almost on the last lap, you know. What a way to finish! I think that shows. I mean, it's already, uh, you know, legendary status. I can't mm. wait till you know it actually happens. I think it's going to be great.
4: That's going to be quite an emotional occasion, isn't it?
5: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I I should imagine there'll be very few dry eyes behind the after that one.
4: A p- potential uh, audience of a billion. Is that right? No bum notes there, eh, Edge?
5: Well, we've got four songs, it's not like a whole set, so i be extremely anxious to, to uh, pull it off without <laughs> any hitches. Alright, yeah.
4: Do you know what you're going to be doing?
5: There are some obvious contenders, but we haven't actually picked the four. I mean, stuff like I'll follow Sunday, but
4: Guys, last time we spoke, you you spoke about all these outtakes from the Unforgettable Fire and we've seen quite a few on B-Sides and things now and I've I've just got this brilliant version of Bad, You 2 Wide Awake in America
5: That's the live
4: version, Where was that recorded?
5: Um, in fact that I think might be the NEC show.
4: Oh
1: really?
5: Uh, we did a little bit of catching up on
4: Great, I was there. Wonderful. Yeah, oh, and, I uh, I mean, it's
5: a great, great version. It really is. It's got so much power
4: to it. Just before you go, can I ask you one question? Um, when we spoke, you said you had a whole bunch of material um, that you'd written for The Unforgettable Fire. When you come to make your new album, are you going to ditch that or are you going to uh, go and write a whole bunch of new songs again?
5: To, to work on, on them again and, and produce finished works. Uh, sometimes that, that really works out very well.
4: So when can we expect to realistically see you 2 tour Britain again? Are we looking towards the autumn of 86?
5: Uh, oh, blimey. Um, I suppose it's definitely not going to be um, early in 86. Mm. I would imagine, yeah. Late 86, um, we'll probably be doing a few shows.
4: Would you want to get um, an album out for the spring?
5: i doubt if we'll have it out by then i think we'll probably have the album out by the summer maybe um early autumn and be touring sort of around that same time
4: brian eno again
5: um that's that's still not decided i Mm. think uh there's a good chance that danny and brian will be involved but uh, we still haven't you know decided finally in in a way i think in the same way that unforgettable fire the song's decided the producer I think it might well be
4: that way again well listen Edge I do appreciate your calling I mean this means a lot to me and I'm very very grateful especially on one of those rare U2 days off I know you want to spend it with your family and Holly's birthday next week that's right yeah so uh, I'm not one to mither you anymore Um, I don't need to wish you good luck because uh, I think there's uh, millions and millions of people all over the world behind you and uh, your records are only getting better anyway oh
5: well thank you Tony you're
4: very kind what a sycophant eh well listen you
5: know have a good show
4: Whole year great or a miracle yeah
5: it seems like only yesterday that you know you were telling us about your show and it, you know everyone
4: was really excited about it so well listen thank- well thank you very much for all the support and i sincerely hope that we'll uh, we'll have a chat when you're back in manchester it doesn't really matter i mean i'll come anywhere to talk to you let's face it <laughs> okay, love to all the family edge uh-huh. is there anything you want to hear that i can play for you after this interview rather than instead of just your own stuff um... any particular favorite
5: well, actually, of, of the stuff that we just released, I really like the three sunrises. I think that's got a lot of...
4: OK, but apart, for, apart from your own material, uh-huh. is there anything by anybody else you might want to hear? Um,
5: something from the Waterboys
4: would be nice. Great. You know, um, honestly, the, next to yourselves, the most letters I get are about the Waterboys, and we're hoping to put a concert on by the Waterboys in the autumn, so... Uh, great.
5: I'll
4: tell you what, I thought of playing Savage Earth Heart this week. Yeah, why not? So maybe I'll play that.
5: Yeah,
4: that will be great. The Edge, love to everyone out there. Thank you very much indeed.
5: OK, Tony, listen, it
4: was, it was a pleasure. Yeah,
0: hold on while I wipe away the tears. The Edge talking to me twice, actually, once in an interview that he did with Adam, um, which went out as a special on the radio station, Piccadilly Radio in Manchester, that I was working at at the time. And then, after being on there for a year, he phoned me back. And that's why the quality's a little iffy, but I heard it, so hopefully you heard it. And uh, it was really interesting, the stuff he was saying. I mean, absolutely incredible to hear about... Um, talking up about what they were going to do at Live Aid and mentioning stuff like, you know, we'll probably do New Year's Day and I will follow on Sunday Bloody Sunday and Pride. Well, you know, the whole thing was we were all waiting on them doing Pride. And, of course, Bono went walk around and bad lasted for about, I don't know, seven minutes or something. And they pulled the plug. And that day, Bono was nearly sacked from the band. 1985. Uh, incredible to think about it uh, now. But... Um, He just went walkabout, pulled his girl out of the crowd, but it turned into a pretty much a moment (laughs) that rocked, actually. Uh, Certainly rocked for them, but uh, Bonner was very close to being sacked. And the rest is history, especially with an audience of 1.4 billion people. Taking a walkabout uh, where the band can't find you is not always the best idea, but he's never stuck by rules. And uh, a couple of things worked. I mean, the other thing was Red Rocks. Red Rocks, it was kind of pouring with rain in danger of being electrocuted they decided uh to go on and do it at the time mike peters talks about that gig in the previous moments that rock uh the full interview with uh bono and adam is available here uh programs episodes uh 15 16 17 18 are all about you two so if you delve back through the archives you'll be able to find them Anyway, you have been listening to Moments to Rock with me, Tony Michael Edis. We're part of the Pantheon group of podcasts and proud to be there. Uh, Have a happy Christmas and everything else that goes with it. Don't drink too much or fall over. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.